Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, April 9th, 2021. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of our white Christian nations, and thank you for listening. This evening, we have our good friend, Dr. Michael Hill with us, the president of the League of the South, and we would like to discuss the challenges and the directions which the League of the South currently faces, in, especially in light of its coming legal battles. But first, let me say that the need for whites, white Christians in general, to be part of an organization such as the League of the South is... No, it has never been more pressing than it is today. Yet the challenges faced by the League, as we hope to bring to light here, they must be overcome. They must, we must prevail over these challenges or else whites in general, and especially pro-white organizations, but whites in general, will not have any public voice again in for or at least for a very long time in the history of our nation our nation not their nation dr hill thank you for joining us bill it's always my pleasure to be on with you disappointingly in in my opinion some of the members of the league even see the league merely as an activist group. And, and they're upset that since 2018 and the Charlottesville lawsuit, there has been very little activism. And, and I think these people are short-sighted and they're not committed to the proper objective. We face a spiritual battle, a battle which is not found in newspapers or on the front pages of news agency websites. We, we, had this spiritual battle for the hearts and minds of Southerners who still care for their own culture and heritage. So the main objective, and, and this is expressed in the League position papers, is networking and community building. The networking and community building efforts within the League are much more important than the next Charlottesville, and, and they'll service much better in the long term. Yeah, I agree, Bill. Uh, there, there won't be another Charlottesville. Charlottesville was a one-off event. Uh, you know, we, we, we tried uh, two months later after Charlottesville to replicate it at Shelbyville, Tennessee. And we saw right away that the authorities were not going to allow anything like that to happen again, which is both good and bad. Of course, at Charlottesville, it, it, you know, looking back in retrospect, it was retrospect. It was a trap. Uh, you know, they, they, they sent us in and basically told the cops to stand down and let a riot happen and blamed it all on us. And that's uh, part of the reason that we're fighting these legal battles now. But for people who think that, uh, you know, there's nothing going on because there's not, uh, hadn't been another Charlottesville uh, or short-sighted and haven't been uh, paying attention, what the league has been doing uh, really for the last uh, three years or so is uh, focusing more on building up our local chapters, our local communities, establishing connections uh, between people. It's been uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes work, 
a lot of foundation building work, and that's not very glamorous. Not like going to Charlottesville and, you know, duking it out in the streets with commies uh, while the whole world was watching. I mean, that was a great thing, and you know, obviously, I, I, it was something I thought we had to do, and I would, I still believe that today, even though you know we've had the legal trouble stemming from it, which I'll talk about uh, in a little more detail in a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, we're all about winning. Uh, it, it's it's not, you know, you can go fight. Uh, if you don't fight smart, you're going to lose. Uh, so the, the, the whole game here is not about fighting. It's about winning. And, you know, you have to choose your battles. And uh, unfortunately, right now for us, in some ways, we, we've been, had to curtail our a lot of our public uh, events. Uh, we've had some, and, and they've been successful. Uh, but... Uh, we haven't been focusing on that. Now, we will start back doing that on a smaller scale, God willing, later this year. We'll have a national conference uh, in September, uh, which you can check out the details of on our League of the South website. But we'll uh, we'll slowly ease back into this, but we got a bigger battle on our hands right now, and that, that's the legal issues that we're facing, and that is the frontline fight uh, at present, Bill. Well, well, sir, you, you just um, perfectly reflected a paragraph I cut short in my opening remarks. And even in the time, the, the, the time, the personal time that I've been privileged to spend with you in the last three years, and it is a privilege, we really haven't Thank talked you, very much about this particular subject. So, in spite of that, I, I had, um, in my opening notes, I, I have in front of me the, the sentiment that the League of the South has always known that we need numbers sufficient to maintain our own institutions, that that's how you offer an alternative to people who are looking for alternatives. There, there is a lot of succession talk in political circles in given areas of the South and, and talk of defying this federal government and their COVID agenda and everything that they're doing to destroy our, our economy and our livelihoods at the present moment. People in the league, well, the people is. in the league, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, there is. Go ahead. No, the, you, you go ahead. People, I'll, I'll jump in when you finish. Right. That the people in the league who look for publicity by waving flags and putting fingers in the eyes of our enemies, that they usually neglect these more important matters of, of community building and, and networking. And, and because that often they only care about the publicity, that they want to fight to the death today and, and they're going to lose the war because they can't win that battle. A strong network of individuals dedicated to our long-term objectives who do not merely seek the gratification of headlines or, a, or the temporary thrill of making a show of public dissension, that will help us all to weather the coming storms. Public, public dissension might be good, but more important things have to be done slowly, deliberately, and quietly. Right, Bill. I've been, uh, well, this, this coming June, it'll be 27 years since we formed the league. And that's a lot of days between then and now. 
And for every day that we've done something as glamorous and exciting as, as Charlottesville or, uh, you know, uh, Pikeville or New Orleans or, or some of the other, uh, you know, very public and very uh, publicized events that we've done, for every one of those, there have been hundreds of days of uh, routine, boring work, uh, which is the way it is. Uh, you know, if you're going to build a foundation, which we're trying to build for a Southern nationalist movement that can affect this kind of change that we want to see, it's a grind. You know, it's uh, most of the work that you do is unseen and sometimes unappreciated, and you just have to get used to it. I mean, it's not all glamorous. Um, and, you know, uh, also, uh, I think we're under the impression that, uh, you know, you have to go out and engage the enemy uh, in, in a highly publicized contest like that. Well, the best, the best battles that you win are the ones that you never really have to fight. Because when you fight a battle, and trust me, I know what I'm talking about here. When you fight a battle, even under the best of circumstances, you're going to lose uh, some of your resources uh, during that battle, and you have to replenish those resources. So the, if you can win a battle without having to fight it, uh, that, that's, that's a very good thing. And, you know, we are, we're planning on uh, winning. I, I haven't dedicated uh, the better part of my adult life to this, just, uh, you know, to be on some kind of lark. Uh, I, I'm very serious about it. I want to win it. I've made my mistakes, and I've learned from them. And, you know, I, I know people get impatient. They want to see things happening, these big publicized events like Charlottesville and, and others. But there's a time and a place for those, and there's a time and a place for doing the less glamorous foundational work, which we've been doing uh, on and off for 27 years, but we've really been concentrating on it for the last uh, three years or so. And we'll continue to do that, and we'll mix some other things in. There'll be some public things for people to do, but we, we need to be smart about everything we do and uh, just can't go rushing off and do something because it feels good or makes, makes you feel good to say you've done it and get your picture in the paper or get video on TV of you, you know, waving a battle flag or, you know, engaging with the commies or whatever. That's fun and, and, and important, but it has its place. It has its time. And unfortunately, the last three years have been really conducive for a lot of that. That That's absolutely true. And, and I fully agree with your assessment of what happened at Charlottesville. I, I mean, you know that we were there together and I had done several podcasts in the aftermath of Charlottesville. I didn't put it as succinctly as you did in one sentence. If I did, I wouldn't have been able to do any podcasts. Not, no, that's, I'm just making a joke. But, but that, that was a very succinct way of putting it. And that's exactly what the local government in Virginia, the state of Virginia, did do to us that, and, and how they set us up because they knew that they were going to be on the side of our opposition when the riot ensued, which it did. However, we didn't even expect that riot. I, I don't, I, I remember your opening remarks in, in the parking garage before our column marched down that street. And even though we knew that there was going to be opposition there to the Unite the Right rally, we didn't understand that the numbers that they would be able to put in the streets 
and the vitriol and the hatred and, and what their ability was going to be to express that hatred. We really did expect more resistance from the soft right, if I remember your remarks correctly, from the Jason Kessler crowd and the Mike Enoch crowd and people like that who, who don't like us either. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, we get hated on both sides. Uh, yeah, that's right, Bill. When we were in that parking garage, uh, you know, I sent some guys out to, to, to scout ahead and they came back and told me that there was a, a large, large group of, uh, of, and I, I, I think they said Antifa, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, between us and the park. And I said, well, you know, uh, we're we're headed that way anyway, and uh, you know I expected the cops to do like they had done in Pikeville and New Orleans, uh, previous events where we had had uh, a you know potential showdown with uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, the cops to, to to intervene between the two groups, and I figured that it would happen in Charlottesville. It wasn't until we got within about you know a half a block from that line of uh, malodorous communist and, and all that uh, you know I began to notice uh, there weren't any cops around or at least the cops that were there were standing down and we were already being attacked on, on the sides uh, flanks and in the rear uh, from people uh, from you know the opposition so there wasn't anything we could do to, if we turned around and tried to march back it would have been nothing but confusion and put our people in danger. So we didn't have any option but to go through that mass into the park like we'd planned to start with. And that's uh, obviously where the confrontation began, but it wasn't our fault because they wouldn't get out of our way. And we were determined to go to the park and, uh, you know, have the, have the uh, speeches. And I was supposed to speak and I actually had my speech in my pocket ready to give it. So, you know, we we weren't planning uh, on that kind of thing. We uh, we understood that there there was going to be opposition, but hey, we've never backed down from our political opposition before, and we never will. Um, but you know, we we didn't know that they were going to foment a riot and then try to blame us for it. Uh, but that's exactly what happened. Well, well, I mean, we have a right, a basic right to passage. We we have a basic right to be in that park. You were joining with, with a group that was permitted to be in that park. And, and being a speaker, you had every right to gain your entrance to it one way or another. And if somebody is going to confront you and try to prevent that, that right to passage, then it is they who are initiating the violence. And, and we yeah, that's exactly violence. right. And that's what happened. My, my own wife is a middle-aged woman. She weighs about 125, 130 pounds, if I had to guess. And, and she might be offended that I said that. She, she, she <laughs> might want to weigh less, right? And, and she has three ruptured discs <laughs> in her back from auto accident she's had suffered in the past. Three ruptured discs and, and constant nerve pain. I would never bring her into a fight on purpose. And, and there were several no, women there. Not. Several women there that are more elderly and more frail than my wife. They didn't expect to fight in the streets. That that's not the type of people you bring with you when you expect a fight. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And you know, we we had uh, we had quite a few uh, female league members 
there that day, and I, I put them uh, in the interior of the column just in case that there was trouble because, you know, I, I'd, I'd seen what had happened uh, out in Berkeley and uh, you know, Sacramento and other places where Antifa had, uh, you know, fought it out with the uh, right-wing groups out there and what they'd done at Trump rallies and things like that. So I was I was conscious of the, of the fact that there could be danger. So I, I had all the, the female league members to get on the interior of the column. And you're right, you know, there were, there were a number of uh, of women there that day, all the way from, you know, in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. I wouldn't have brought them into a situation knowing that there was going to be a, a street fight like that. Absolutely not. Not then or not now or, or ever. So, uh, you know, our intention was to march down the street. Uh, the reason we, we use that parking garage there on East Market Street is because it was right next to the police station. And we thought our vehicles would be safe there. And then, as it turned out, they were. Um, but we thought there would be uh, strength in numbers in going in because we had no idea what was going to be there to face us. And thank God we had a column of about 400 people, or they would have set up on us and probably maybe even killed us, you know. Uh, so, yeah, th- this whole thing is a farce. Uh, we were there, as you pointed out, uh, with a permit. I was a speaker. We had a, a couple of other speakers in that column as well. And we were just trying to get to the park. And the street was open to foot traffic. And the cops would not do anything to help us get to the park. I actually uh, walked over and signaled to a cop that was standing there on, on the, the corner uh, of the street side of the street after I stopped our column about 30 feet away from the front of that mass of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I went over there, and the cop just said, hey, you're on your own. I said, okay, it's nice to know. Uh, But, you know, we're we're simply getting blamed for conspiring to riot and for basically depriving minorities, they're talking mainly about Jews and Negroes, uh, of of their civil rights. And they've sort of brought out this old uh, 1871 anti-Klan law and dusted it off to use against us. But the whole thing is a joke. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, our motion for summary judgment, we found out last week, was denied by the judge. So if nothing happens, we'll actually be going to trial, I think it's October the 25th, um, in Charlottesville. So uh, we'll see what happens. But we, uh, you know, this is the front lines of this fight right now. Uh, they want to just, I mean, they, they made, made no bones about it, Bill. Uh, Roberta Kaplan, the, the Jewish lesbian Jew uh, attorney who is kind of the lead attorney against us on this, has made no bones about it. Her own words, I think, I think she said she wanted to break the back of the organized white nationalist movement. Uh, and that's what they're trying to do. I mean, unapologetically, they're trying to do that. So. You know, if people want to want to find a fight, if you're a white nationalist, a, a Christian nationalist, a Southern nationalist, whatever, or just a conservative, and you want to fight the left, well, uh, here's the front lines. You can help us. We we have to win this case. Yes, we do. The, the Charlottesville lawsuit and how its outcome can possibly affect um, the rights of free speech, association, and assembly. It is that, I mean, this could affect us far into the future. It could muzzle whites to a much 
greater degree than these that these masks that most of them are wearing and and that is the front line and and it's not the type of help that we can get from people standing out in the streets with, with placards opposing black lives matter it's the type of help that we need in in financial help and resources in in order to pay for attorneys who are willing to fight this battle for us in, in the Charlottesville court. That That's the only, that, that's exactly. the most important right. help we need right now. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'd rather be standing out in the street holding a placard. Well, there'll be a time for that. But if you really want to help us right now, you help us win these uh, this lawsuit. It's, it's called Signs, S-I-N-E-S, versus Kessler. Uh, meaning uh, Jason Kessler is the first person named in it, but there are like two dozen other uh, two dozen other defendants in it, uh, in, uh, organizations and individuals. And uh, and for our part, it's uh, the league is being sued, and I'm being sued uh, individually, as is my chief of staff, Mike Tubbs. So uh, we have a very good attorney. We have some other attorneys uh, working in the background on this, uh, you know, doing some research for us and things like that. But uh, this is going to be a high-profile trial, uh, and it's going to be a very, some very important issues decided in it. And one is as basic as this, Bill. Can we, as whites, criticize Negroes and Jews? Uh, and if, if, if it's pointed out, if it's decided, rather, in this trial that uh, we can't criticize Negroes and Jews, then the Democrat Party <laughs> is going to become a dictatorship party because it's made up mainly of Negro and Jew interests. And if you can't criticize them, if you can't demonstrate in the streets against them, if you can't uh, voice your opinion and exercise your First Amendment rights uh, in opposition to them, political opposition to them, then, uh, you know, the right is dead. Absolutely. I agree. And and the lines are, are being drawn. They're being drawn more sharply with just about every single election, um, midterm, local, it doesn't matter. And, and the League of the South has been on that line for 25 years, trying to show white people, hey, here's the line, right? I mean, <laughs> and they still don't always get it. But it, it's becoming sharper and sharper. If they don't see it, they've got to be blind. And, and it is. The lines are being yeah. drawn all over the country right now in, in very much in the same manner. But you've been fighting this battle for 27 years. And, and if people aren't going to support this cause, what are they going to support? And the people that claim to be that Southern nationalists do support this cause, do support the, the, or have the same um, spirit as the League of the South, but they aren't supporting this battle. What are they supporting? What are they doing? That's well, what I look That at. is my question. That's the question. You know, Bill, of, of all of the organized groups, now, as far as I know, I can't speak for all because I, I, I'm not familiar with a, a couple of the groups that were there, but I think they're defunct too. But the League is the only group that came out of Charlottesville intact and has stayed intact. And that is because of the uh, dedication and generosity of, of our members. And we've never been a huge organization. 
Um, and but I, I'm, I'm still very grateful to the members and supporters that we have because they have made it possible for us to stand up so far to the pressure that's been brought to bear on us. And we are on the front lines, and we have been there for a long time. And it's time other people joined us because it's just like you said. If they're not supporting us and they're nationalists, Christian nationalists, white nationalists, southern nationalists, I don't care what you call yourself, if you're a nationalist or even just a conservative, uh, who are you supporting? If you're supporting the GOP, <laughs> you're supporting something that's not going to take you very far. Now, the league has had a, had problems, and we've had problems because we put ourselves on the front lines, and we've been beaten and battered by groups that are and organizations and money that's a lot stronger and bigger than we are. But uh, we've stood up to it, and we're going to continue to stand up to it, Yahweh willing, for as long as it takes to, to win or whatever consequences uh uh, you know, unfold from this thing in his great providence. So we'll be there, but we need some support. Well, yeah, you know, what we talk about um, the right to free speech, the right to association, the, the freedom of association, the freedom of assembly. People take these rights for granted and they act as if they have been permanently established and they're always going to have those rights. But the very fact that the courts accept cases such as this plaintiff's case at Charlottesville proves that these rights have already been encroached upon and that they, you, you really don't have those rights unless you stand and defend them. And if you can't defend them yourselves, unless you support those who are trying to defend them. And that's what this Charlottesville case is about. Yes, Bill. Yes, Bill. That's absolutely right. I had a dis- I was the leader of that column uh, because of the, this this was this this whole uh, thing about uh, meeting in the parking garage and having a column and, and and going in together for safety's sake. That was the league's uh, plan. You know, we 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 broke away from Jason Kessler and all those guys when we saw that their plan, uh, you know, was not uh, very high as far as security went. Uh, so we, we made our own plan. And, you know, I stopped that column, and I had a decision to make. I could turn that column around and avoid a confrontation. But by doing that, Bill, I would have been giving up, voluntarily surrendering, not only my rights to free speech, to free uh, assembly, and to free access to an open uh, thoroughfare, you know, to go, you know, to the freedom to, to move where you wanted to go. Uh, I would have been giving up all those things in the in the face of pressure from from the left wing, from the communist. And I was not under any circumstances on that day going to make a decision that uh, vitiated those rights. We were going to exercise those rights because you're absolutely correct when you say that if those rights are not defended and exercised, they disappear. And we could have given up our rights that day and turned around and walked away, but there there was no way in hell that I was going to do that. When that and, and we gave we gave Antifa and Black Lives Matter who were lined up in front of us and throwing things at us and, and you know, calling us all kind of names. We we gave them a chance to move out of the way and let us go through to the park and they refused. They locked arms and said You'll have to come through us. 
So we did. And I do it again. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I made a conscious decision to bring my wife into the park on that day, along with the rest of the League of the South. And I could have easily, if I expected any kind of trouble, my wife would not have been there. She would have been in my Jeep, which looks like a yuppie vehicle, right? Nobody's going to think that a Southern nationalist is driving around in a Jeep that, that, uh, right. in, in, in a pretty new Jeep that doesn't have any stickers <laughs> on it or anything. Right? That's right. Um, it, it blends right in with the liberal Charlottesville middle class, right? But, well, I would have had my wife right. on the outskirts of, of Lee Park, of that park, in, in my Jeep, where, where I could be extracted if I expected or anticipated a violent struggle. And that would have been the smart right. thing for me to do. Instead, my Jeep what was in um, Stanton, Virginia, at, at the lot of the, the um, Stonewall Jackson Hotel where we were staying the night. So, so <laughs> my Jeep was 45 right. minutes away. I, I, we had another friend who, who had driven us to Charlottesville with us, but he was in the column with us. He wasn't with his vehicle back in the parking lot, right? So, so right. I wasn't looking to be extracted from a violent situation. Yet you made a good point earlier that I want to hit on, and and that was the um, free speech. And and in in relation to free speech, you thought that we had strength in numbers, and and you do when you're planning to go to a peaceful demonstration and exercise your perceived democratic right of free speech and to make a valid political point and attract people to consider that point, then you have strength in numbers. Of course you do. And that was yeah. our attitude going into Charlottesville. But you know from experience probably better than I do that if you're going in to um, conduct a violent operation, which is basically guerrilla warfare, you're much better off with a very small group of extremely fit and qualified young men. Yes, sir. I've been there and done that uh, a long time ago. And I, I can attest exactly to what you're saying. You know, we, we, we knew, we knew that there would probably, there, there was a chance of violence, but I tell you what we thought that we would face more than anything else is objects being thrown at us. And that's why I, I had uh, a dozen guys with shields because those shields are always good for deflecting things that are being thrown at you. And I put those guys uh, in the front of the column and kind of down the sides. So if they started throwing things at us, they could at least put the shields up and deflect those things because I'd seen what had happened at, at other places. We got th things thrown at us at Pikeville and at New, in New Orleans, uh, but, you know, the cops were there to separate the two groups, sort of. Uh, but they, they certainly couldn't keep things from being thrown out of the crowd. Right. And so that's that's the kind of violence that I expected. I didn't expect that the cops were going to stand down and let there be an absolute uh, melee take place in the streets like that. But right. they did. So I, I was with you in New Orleans, but I missed Pikeville. I didn't have that experience. In, in any right. um, 
And my, my point that I'm making is, is that these people, these plaintiffs bringing this suit, right, they're um, lesbian Jewesses who have never seen a battle in their lives outside of a, outside of a barroom, probably. So, so I'm not even sure I've seen one there. <laughs> right. Well, well, my point is that you, you've written books on Celtic warfare. And Michael Tubbs is a former Special Forces sergeant who's seen action in the field. I mean, you both know what it takes to pull off a guerrilla operation or a subversive offensive operation in, in the field. Everything that we did at Charlottesville is absolutely contrary to, to your own experiences and how to do that. So uh, the, the claims yeah, that we absolutely. showed up there to, to start trouble and, and to cause violence, it is just ludicrous. It's absurd. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. If, if you're really going to be serious about it, you, you get a bunch of, you know, young guys and who are fit. And I'll, you know, you don't bring just anybody who wants to participate at it into something like that uh and we certainly wouldn't have done it uh you know with the women and, and some of the men older men who were not in really good shape right i mean uh, some we weighed over 300 pounds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know I, I i did this stuff too uh you know like you were talking about when i was a young man various places but you know i'm not a young man anymore i wasn't expecting right. uh you know that to be a throwdown in the street like that but uh yeah you, you got to be prepared <laughs> now when you go out because you certainly can't uh expect the cops uh to defend your rights for you anymore if you're a white man so we 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 all learned some lessons from that uh that experience well well right but i mean, i mean the point i'm trying to make is that that their claims about our motives are just so obviously false to anyone who actually sits and objectively looks at the facts Yes, absolutely. And I think that will come out at the trial because all they really have against us is a lot of anecdotal evidence, uh, people's comments on uh, emails and on Facebook and Twitter and other social media, but uh, they, they do not have any uh, conclusive evidence uh, of us having conspired to do anything because we didn't. And uh, uh, some of the, some of the groups, uh, used uh, the discord platform to to do their planning and we didn't use that uh, we made our plans logistical plans and that's pretty much all they were uh by phone and uh there's you know they, they don't have anything that they can uh, point to to show that we conspired to do anything except come up there and go to uh, a, pub, a public rally that was permitted and uh was legitimate so but you know when you get in front of a, a jury from a place like charlottesville you can't ever tell what's going to happen and I, I i think i could be wrong but i don't think i am i think what the defendants will do is they'll point to us and look at the jury and say well maybe you know you need to convict these people because they're bad they're bad people you know they they don't think right uh, and you can get a jury to convict a ham sandwich, you know, if you talk to them right. So uh, we'll see what happens. But they really don't have much of a case against us. 
at all because uh, there, there's just simply no evidence there to show that we conspired to do anything. But we still need people to support that defense and to support that cause. And, and if that takes oh, absolutely. money, that, that's just the cold, hard reality of it, of the situation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And this, this will be, you know, despite what I just said, that doesn't mean that, that we're going to win this case. We're going to have to have money, uh, you know, to pay our attorneys. And our attorneys are going to have to do uh, some hard work. Uh, to get in front of that jury and 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 say that you know all this stuff is BS, you know it's uh, our 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 clients here are are, are not uh, guilty of any of this that they're being charged with, uh, and you know if they, my concern is is striking a jury in a place like Charlottesville that will uh, will be fair, and I'm not sure we can do that. We'll see. I I absolutely agree, sir. And I'm praying that we do get through this because I know that this is a a, a huge distraction. It, even though the lawyers do most of the work, that this is a huge distraction to you and to the rest of the League of South in general, especially to men like Michael Tubbs who are involved in the actual case, um, Brad Griffin and people like that, that, that it's hard for us to plan and, and move forward if we suffer these distractions, it, it's just a, it, a fact. It is. And this was a front that we didn't, we didn't expect to, to be fighting on right now, but uh, you know, we are, and that's where we find ourselves and, and we've had to uh, adapt to it. And uh, you're right. Uh, Tubbs and I would have been uh, doing a lot more positive work for the league uh, if we hadn't been uh, distracted by all of the demands for discovery, for example, you know, we had to provide all kinds of information uh, through our attorney to the, to the plaintiff's attorneys and all that kind of stuff. So it's really over the last uh, three and a half years, uh, it'll, it'll be four years by the time the trial starts. We've had a lot of uh, distractions uh, regarding the, this, this case. And, uh, it has taken me and, and Mr. Tubbs both away from our duties that we would uh, rather be performing in a positive way for the league. So we've we've had to take up a defensive position here to some degree where we would have preferred to been have been on the offensive. But you do what you have to do, and this is this is the fight of the moment, and that's where we need help. Absolutely. We have to get past that. We have to get past Charlottesville. And, and I mean, if we lose the case, that's not losing the war. I mean, there's the appeals process, but that in the state of Virginia, probably with its current political climate, that that's a more dismal expectation, in, in my opinion. So we have to win this without a doubt. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, we, we do. And you know, we have to pretty much throw everything we have into it uh, between now and, and October and uh, just pray to Yahweh that uh, he will give us a good outcome. But, you know, the, the thing that I'm more concerned about right now than anything else is that Michael Tubbs and I just go and acquit ourselves like Christian men. And I think if we do that, I think things will be okay. Yes. And, and, and I believe, and, and, We'll pray the for the, for the same outcome. 
<laughs> we almost at least do that, but we really do have to support the, the League of the South in this battle. And, and it does have serious implications for um, all pro-white activism and any pro-white group in any other, at least partially liberal state in the country going far into the future. This, this case has serious implications, in my opinion. But we'll never have a voice yes, in, it does in Virginia again. Anywhere. Well, that's right. And Bill, I, I would take it a step further and say not only uh, anyone who's concerned with uh, with the future uh, and well-being of the white race, uh, but you know any, anybody who just considers themselves a conservative, you know, uh, they're they're going to be muzzled eventually because, you know, for example, years ago the league. Uh, uh, made public statements to the effect that, yeah, they're coming after Confederate battle flags and Confederate statues and Confederate street names and school names, but they won't stop there. Once they finish with that, that's kind of the low-hanging, easy fruit to pick. They'll go for uh, non-Confederate, non-Southern targets uh, that are also white, and that's been happening. And uh, if conservatives are too blind to see that they ought to be supporting us, then they're going to get exactly what they deserve, and that is their rights basically taken away from them. Absolutely. That there'll be no what where do you draw the line? I mean these that mainstream people that they are people are starting to draw lines and, and I would like to speak about that briefly, maybe in a few minutes. But but if you don't see the, the constant encroachment upon Christian society, if you don't see it today, how blind can you be? And, and if you don't work to awaken people to the fact that this is never going to stop because it has been the pattern. At these recent Black Lives Matter demonstrations, that they have even toppled statues of the Virgin Mary and Christopher Columbus and, and icons of Western Christian civilization like that. Melissa and I were, were on, um, we, we were driving down the main thoroughfare in Panama City Beach back last summer. And there's a Catholic church and they had a little statue of the Virgin Mary. And I'm not an idolater. I don't believe that we should have statues of the Virgin Mary. But no matter what you want to think about the uh, Catholic Church idolatry, you have to recognize that this has been an icon of Western civilization for 2,000 years. And that the people that um, want to destroy it, that they also want to destroy the entire Western civilization. They're not going to stop with the Virgin Mary. If you can stoop to the level of destroying the Virgin Mary, then we have to recognize that you are never, ever going to be compatible with our society, period. So they even toppled a statue of the Virgin Mary in front of this Catholic church and smashed it on a street corner in, in Panama City Beach. We didn't see the act, but we did see the result. And it wasn't a traffic accident that did that because the objects and the fence in front of the statue were still intact, right? I mean, you had to get over right. the barriers to smash this statue. 
So, so right. it, it, it's all over the country that, that we're having these outbreaks of violence against, as you said, non-Southern, non-Confederacy objects, icons, and monuments. And, and it's happened out West and all over the North, as well as the South. Yeah. They're not going That's to right. stop the denominator. No, they're not going to stop. The common denominator is these things represent West, white Western civilization. Right. And that is the target, the, the big target. And here's what I don't understand about conservatives. You know, the left, the left has no enemies to the far left. You know, the left is pretty much uh, supportive of every of every facet and branch of the leftist movement. Right. You know, they, they don't they don't run and hide from communists. But all you have to do, and I'll I'll use the, the example of something that happened at Charlottesville since we've been talking about that. There was one guy in Charlottesville that I saw that showed up. He was not in our column, uh, as far as I remember, but he he did mix in later. Uh, with some of our people, and he had a what looked like a brand new swastika flag, um, and because of that, uh, we got we got denounced by mainstream conservatives. Mainstream conservatives will not support anybody that the left does not approve of them supporting, <clears throat> and the left will never, never let mainstream conservatives get away with supporting the hard right. What conservatives are going to have to do is look at the left and say, we don't care what you say about us. We know who our friends are and we're going to support them. And until that happens and the great majority of American conservatives, for lack of a better term, get over their fear of being called names, they're going to be useless uh, in this fight, and um, they they simply have to make up their minds to get over being uh, scared of being called names by the left. Yeah, you know, sir, that's an excellent and and again a very succinct way of putting um, something that I think we've both always known, but but I've never seen it expressed so succinctly that mainstream conservatives will not support anyone whom the left will not approve of their supporting. That's absolutely true. The leftists, that they're so cowed and, and so easily embarrassed. But I also do believe that that, that man with the swastika flag, and, and of course, you know, I do not despise National Socialist Germany at all, but that man with the so-called no, the, the so Nazi flag, I don't believe that that flag belongs in a Southern nationalist setting. I don't. I, I would not display no, I, 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 that I flag either. along with a Bonnie Blue or a Stars and Bars or, or anything that belongs inherently to the South, because it's out of political context. It, it's probably, it and, and I'm sure it is another manifestation of the same general struggle, but it's totally out of the political conference. It does not belong in our rallies. I agree with that. Michael Tubbs has always had the same um, sentiments. That being said, I had some pictures that somebody sent me 
the very day of the recent right-wing Q-tard, I don't know what to call these people, riots in Washington that I also think were set up too. Well, well, much the same as Charlottesville. That being said, I had these pictures that were sent to me by a friend that I had through Christagenia. And these were hours after they were taken in the riots in Washington. And it was photos of a man hanging a white pride worldwide flag and a Confederate battle flag from the rotunda from the second floor over the over the rotunda of the Capitol building. He was hanging these flags. So I didn't repost the images. I did repost them to the Florida League of the South chat group, a private chat group of, of our own members. And I discussed them there. Um, I didn't repost them on any of my social media or, of course, on any of my websites because I spent two hours the next day looking at the footage. And there was another friend from that knows us through Christagenia who was at the demonstrations, but he wasn't there as a demonstrator. He was only there to film the demonstration. And he sent me two hours of his own footage, which he took. And we know this young man personally. And I looked through several hours of of other footage and altogether i spent about two hours looking through four or five hours of footage perhaps from washington and i did not see one white pride worldwide flag out in the crowd not one and i didn't see any confederate battle flags really either out in the crowd. I saw a lot of don't tread on me flags and American flags, and that's the kind of crowd that was there. So that's right. if there was a Confederate battle flag, I don't remember seeing it. I mean, I may have, but there were absolutely no white pride worldwide flags or any other um, specifically pro-white flags or banners in the whole crowd that day. And are you telling me that this guy hanging the white pride worldwide flag when there were none out in the crowd that he's for real or is he a shill? He was a shill. He's a shill. He's a shill. Yeah. And, and that know, guy I, with the I, Nazi I like flag I got, I have, at Charlottesville, I believe he was a shill also. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, and I'm, I'm like you. I got nothing against uh, national socialism. Uh, but it just doesn't fit in the context of, of what we were doing that day. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think the guy was a, was a plant. Uh, and the reason is to divide uh, the sort of squishy conservative support that we might have gotten for defending uh, Robert E. Lee's statue. Uh, and they were going to put something out there that would run most uh, conservatives away because they don't want to be associated with anything that the left despises like the like the swastika or <laughs> I mean the swastika for the left is, is is no different from the confederate battle flag or anything else they're all hated symbols of the left but the the swastika there in Charlottesville was designed to drive a wedge between the hard right and the what we might call the soft right 
And we need the support of the soft right. They need to become harder and harder every day because if, if they don't, they're going to disappear. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we got a lot of people out there that we, we need to build them up and, and strengthen them and, uh, you know, give, give them a, a reason to, to come out and support us and be bold. Right. The, the, the American political left has always had sympathies for communists, for Marxists, so that the communists and Marxists have been able to win over the, the moderate left and make yes. them more and more radical, more and more communist, more and more Marxist. And, and that's the composition. The result of that is the composition of the Congress, the United States Congress today, as well as the composition of, of all those, the composition of all those blue state governments. That's former moderate leftists who have gotten more and more communist and more and more radical and more and more Marxist over the last 30, 40 years. And yeah, and we know we know why why there's a, a dichotomy there between the hard left and the hard right, because the, the communism is of Jew origin. It's a Jewish ideology from the depths of hell. But the Jews uh, were the winners of World War II, and they've been able to push that garbage uh, off onto people, uh, whereas uh, the right has not been able to push nationalism. Nationalism has been condemned as basically Nazism, any form of nationalism. Right. And, uh, you know, that that's the work of the Jew. Well, well, if you go back to the America First Committee, um, if you look at all of the people that were brought to the sedition trials by the Roosevelt administration, and those sedition trials were a, a mock, a, a set of mock kangaroo court trials against those people. Um, they were all rather normal, conservative Americans who believed in America first, yeah. who believed that we shouldn't be involved in the wars in Europe, which George Washington had warned against, right? Getting involved in foreign wars. Of so so they, sure, these are just sensible... Alliances conservative mainstream Americans, and, and they weren't all politically or economically conservative, that they were conservative in, in thinking about their own nation should come first and, and their nation should be serving the interests of its own people and, and not people all around the world. So, so they stood against that globalism and, and that setup of a global empire that America became, they stood against that. And for that reason, they were persecuted. And right-wing sentiments have been persecuted ever since. And, ever and since, absolutely. As soon as your, your interests are towards those of your own people, you are branded a Nazi. But in, in the state of Israel and Palestine today, even mainstream white Christian tourists who... who worship Jews more than they do Jesus, just because they still call themselves Christians, they're branded as Nazis. And, and yes, mm -hmm. you're, you're absolutely right. The soft right has to get this. And, and we, I, I don't know if we necessarily need their support, but we need, if, if they are going to survive, they need to accept us and some of our ideas. That's why <laughs> that's it. right. 
they they need us more than we need them, really. So, I mean, yeah, yes, in that sense, we do need their support, but it's because they need us. <laughs> because they're That's still right. blind in a lot of ways. And as That's long right. as they, they are. Will not, they will not survive. As long as they are cowed by leftists, they're not going to survive. That's exactly right, sir. And they need to know that. And I think it's beginning to dawn on some of them that the left plays for keeps. When the left gets power, it uses it. When the right, the the uh, declawed and defanged right in the uh, guise of the GOP gets political power, they, they don't know how to use it. So uh, I think that's beginning to dawn on a lot of these mainstream conservatives that, you know, this may be a, a game of life and death rather than a game of mere politics. Or when, when when the prominent Republican politicians come to power, their masters will desert them for using it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's it, right. It's also at least partially, generally true. So, so right. Yes, uh, it is. I mean, whites have to wake up to that fact too, that they don't use their power. I, I mean, I've watched this all my life in, in the Reagan years and, and then again in, in the Bush two years and then again in, in um, well, not so much in the Trump years, but what, where the Republican party had a majority in, in, they had the presidency, they had a majority in the house, they had a clear majority in the Senate and they didn't do one damned thing to reverse any right. of the That's initiatives right. or, or actions of the past progressive democratic administration. Not one thing. That's right. Not one thing. And, you know, Trump had that situation his first two years and just frittered it away. And uh, now that the left's got it, you see what they're doing. Uh, you know, never a day doesn't go by until I got some piece of legislation up there depriving some white person of his rights somewhere. So uh, I'm just hoping this wakes up a lot of those mainstream conservatives and they say, well, you know, we got some people here fighting in Charlottesville uh, on the legal front. Maybe it's in our interest to help these people win. Absolutely. And and they should realize that it is in our interest to, to that the League of the South wins this lawsuit. Exactly. If they don't realize that, and if they don't realize why, well, well, then then the next thing that happens is, what if a group of Antifa go and attend a local conservative Southwest Virginia church? And as soon as the pastor says something they don't like, they tear the whole damn place up, and these Jews sue the the pastor because it's all his fault. Mm-hmm. It, it's no different. Uh, yeah, that that no, it's no different at all. It's no different at all. Uh, and that people say, "Oh, well, that'll never happen." Well, <laughs> a lot of things happen that people said would never happen. I've witnessed them, and so have you. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you, there are all kind of scenarios out there that would be opened up to to this kind of abuse if if we lose this trial. Well, I absolutely agree. And, and it's going to happen if we lose this trial, especially in Virginia and, and neighboring North Carolina, where, where there are a lot of leftists, a lot more than I imagined in, in the universities there. 
I mean, what we know that the leftists have infiltrated all our universities. Um, but actually, a professor in South Carolina, Converse College, I think, he, he just won a case where his college had threatened to revoke his tenure and fire him if he didn't take diversity training. And this is in um, Spartanburg, South Carolina. And he stood against them. He stood up and they backed down and he didn't take the diversity training. They gave him an exemption. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) there are some people that that are still um, willing to stand up for their rights, even in academia. But South Carolina and and, um, North Carolina had have many more leftists in their urban populations and in their universities. And I even imagined, and I was not aware of this until Charlottesville, how bad it was. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. And in, in the intervening four years between Charlottesville and that, it's gotten even worse. So, you know, it's not going to stop until somebody makes a, a determined effort to turn it around. Well, well, right. And and that's my point is if we lose Charlottesville, I think that's going to embolden all of these leftists in the surrounding states, especially in the Carolinas. And, and we're yeah, never it it's not going to be safe there for anybody that's, quote unquote, pro-white at, at any level of awareness or, or anywhere between the, the moderate conservative and, and the far right. They're going to go after the moderate conservatives in those states. Well, of course they will. And and let me let me tell you something else. This is not a stretch to imagine this, but you know, obviously, right now, if if you if you wave a Confederate battle flag, that's that's a symbol of white of white people as it should be. But it's not far fetched to think that in the very near future, if it's not here already, that. Another thing that's going to be uh, attached to whiteness is the American flag and the Christian church. In other words, if you go to a Christian church, uh, particularly one that has uh, a a past history of of being on the conservative side, and you wave an American flag, that means that you are a white man uh, and 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 a white man that has to be dealt with by these leftist forces. And people say, I, I, I've been telling people that, Bill, for 25 years, that they're not going to stop with the Confederate symbology, you know, symbolism, uh, that they're going to take the American symbolisms and they're going to take those and they're going to, out, they're going to make those uh, unacceptable uh, in polite society, if you will. And they're going to do that by saying, well, you know, if you're a Christian and you, you wave an American flag, you're a white supremacist. That day is coming. Well, I know that there are, um, and I saw a couple of news reports kind of recently, but I don't remember enough details to find them now during the course of this conversation. But there are Negroes in various places who have actually made, um, made a scene claiming that they were upset and traumatized when they spotted a Confederate battle flag, that yeah. that that's the point yeah, that it's getting to now. That you are purposely offending that these, 
I, I hate to call them people, I'm sorry, by, by simply displaying <laughs> that flag. Yeah, exactly. It's incredible. Yeah, but there the are beast, lines being yeah, drawn. The beast, beast of the field are getting a little uneasy. That there are lines being drawn, and, and I know that we can't help but be um, diverted, and our time, which is very valuable, and, and attention is wasted having to fight this battle at Charlottesville, and, and it's a battle that we have to win, but it diverts our attention from all these other um, more important things which are more important to our long-term plans if Charlottesville didn't exist. So I'm not diminishing the importance of Charlottesville. It's very important. But these other things would be a lot more beneficial if we could take advantage of them to our long-term objectives. And, and that, that's uh, in Arkansas, that is um, three bills that have been passed which are all anti-tranny. So now the LGBT crowd in Arkansas, the activist crowd, they're threatening that all the sodomites, and, and I'm calling, that's my language, not theirs, would leave the state of Arkansas, but they have nowhere to go because neighboring states are considering similar bills. So, so Arkansas <laughs> is actually trying to protect children with these laws against um converting them, converting their gender surgically and, and through pharmaceuticals because children don't have the, the um, experience necessary to make those decisions at, at 6, 8, no. 10, 12 years old. So Arkansas is passing laws protecting children. So the, the sodomites are claiming that they're being victimized and the children are being victimized by this, right? It, mm -hmm. It's incredible. The, the reversal of, of moral polarity is, it, it should be absolutely start striking to the average normal white Christian. And, and they should, that we should take advantage of this because th this does polarize people and, and I believe start to get them to think. Ooh, it does. There, there are 28 states right now with anti-tranny bills in their legislatures. So, right. so that, that's one avenue that what we might be able to um, use or employ and, and to bring to people's attention just to get them to think that, hey, somebody's finally drawing a line on, on morality and we've been standing on that line for 25 years, right? So... Another That's is exactly right. I think another is even more important in, in Arkansas. And, and there's a couple of things I want to say about Florida. The Arkansas Senate just passed a bill by a wide margin, four to one. Um, as Biden at the same time is calling for even more gun control than he originally announced in his original um executive orders and, and legislation that the Democrats are putting forth. Now Biden's really stepped that up after these recent shootings in Colorado, I think, and, and Georgia. This Arkansas Senate voted to block federal law enforcement officials from enforcing certain gun laws and regulations and they just sent this bill to the House. It passed the Senate by 28 to 7, 
which is a four to one margin, which is huge. Right. And yes, it is. the legislature is also overwhelmingly Republican and conservative. So it seems certain to pass the, the, the House. It says all acts, laws, orders, rules, and regulations of the United States government, whether past, present, or future, that infringe on the people's right to keep and bear arms as guaranteed by the Second Amendment and by the Arkansas Constitution are invalid in this state, shall not be recognized by this state, are specifically rejected by this state, and shall be considered null and void of no effect in this state. Now, now, to me, that's a small step, but it's a big step at the same time towards the idea that... Conservative white Christian states need to secede from the, this empire. Absolutely, that is the old uh, idea of nullification put into put into effect there, and that's a precursor to the ultimate um, act of political defiance in this case, and that is, as you pointed out, secession. Right, and and jury nullification it is something that should be our most important tool in our toolbox of defiance. We should want our people to get on juries in, in cases of um, gun possession and, and anything that is basically anti-liberty and nullify the laws by finding defendants innocent even if they That's committed right. the act. And, and if you mentioned jury nullification in a court today and, and for the last hundred years, you're very likely to offend that judge very highly and, and be thrown out or fined or sentenced for contempt of court, even though it's yeah, an established exactly. right from ancient British That's law. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, you know, obviously one way to keep from getting put on a jury is to mention uh, jury nullification. Uh, you, you will guarantee that you are not going to be on the jury by saying that. And I'm with you. I encourage all of our people to serve on jury duty. And look for opportunities to exercise nullification against tyrannical laws. Exactly. I mean, yes, if you end up exactly. on a jury for a trial that's an assault or something like that, I, I mean, that's unfortunate. You're going to be pulled out, out of work. You're going to be pulled away from your family. You're going to have to deal with this bullshit. But, you know, it, it, the, the end gratification of that is sending some chimp to the cage for six months or ten years. doesn't matter. That the participation in juries and, and in grand juries, well, in grand juries, you could vote no bill, and, and nothing's to prevent you from doing that if, if you don't like the law, regardless of whether or not you, right. you think the individual did it. But on, on a, on, on a um, trial jury, you have every right to vote not guilty simply because you think that the law is oppressive and tyrannical or, or that it infringes on our liberties, that has always been the first line of defense in the it protection has. of our that rights is and the liberties. first line of defense. It and is. it's totally conceded. It's been absolutely 100% conceded to the people that want to control us. That's right. That's right. And, you know, 
people need to to be aware of of that weapon uh, or that tool in the toolbox. Uh, and you know, as you pointed out, judges. I mean, it's anathema to judges. So they're not going to tell you that you have the right to do that. So somebody's going to have to be telling people, hey, you know, you can go on this jury, and if you think this law is is unconstitutional, is immoral, just don't convict a guy. You know, right. it's just that simple. I have a feeling that if, and I'm sure they do, as soon as they Google my name, I'll never get on a jury. <laughs> it ain't well, No, no, will I? But I don't believe that you have to admit or, or make any statements about nullification as you're being questioned and, and during the jury selection process. I don't believe you have to give them a clue. Oh, absolutely not. If they asked me about it, I'd say, what, what, what is jury nullification? I don't even know what that is. What is that? You know? Right. But I don't think they ask jurors about it any longer. And I don't think so because they, they don't. don't want people to know about it. That's right. If they, no, they just don't mention it. Asked every juror, then most jurors are going to go home and look it up and say, what's that? <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. I kind of like marijuana. I know people that are helped <laughs> by marijuana. So I'm going to vote not guilty because not because the person didn't do it, but because it's a bad law. That's exactly right. That yeah, I, had, I wish more people knew about that. Everybody, it, it's a shame. I, I'm sure they don't. I never learned it in in civics in school. I, I took political well, classes in high school and never learned about jury nullification. No, I found out about it after I was grown up. Right. You have to actually read old books to find out about it. That's beyond most people. Exactly. It's not on TV. It's never going to be on CNN. No. I like that you have to read old books, which I've read a lot of old books, and I'm sure you have too. Yeah, at least a few. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk for, for a moment about Florida. I, I think this is even better, or at least just as good as Arkansas. Perhaps Arkansas, the lines are being drawn in better places. But in Florida, since the Biden inauguration, and we spoke about this on our last podcast, the will to succeed. So this is kind of like a, a, a short sequel. Since the Biden inauguration, there have been talks, open talks of succession in various parts of Florida by um, minor local Republican politicians, but now it's gone statewide. But rather than guns and trannies, the Florida governor has chosen COVID restrictions as his main point of contention. So Florida has resisted lockdowns and mask requirements. We still have liberty in Florida. But now DeSantis is opposing any possible vaccination mandates. So he actually issued an executive order that there will be no vaccination mandates in the state of Florida. And it's recorded that DeSantis literally had Attorney General Moody investigate the ramifications of secession. And the state attorney general is quoted as having responded, and I quote, if the rights of the people of Florida, as recognized by the Constitution, are not protected by the federal government, then they have the right to separate themselves from their oppressors. In this case, Joseph Biden and his administration. 
So there's open talk at the state governor and cabinet level of secession in Florida, which that is that makes me feel thing. real good. <clears throat> Texas, I have to study more. Uh, um, Texas, uh, I, there's this Texas Independence Referendum Act that that's been proposed by this one um, state legislature. State legislator. It seems to have stalled, but I don't think it stalled. It, it's um, I just haven't seen news of it since early March. But I learned something, and and it, it's I'm not a student of the War of Northern Aggression and its aftermath. I, I I'm a student of ancient history. I really I might know a little bit about the Confederacy and and the subsequent history, but. I, I don't really study it as a subject. It, it's out of my primary area of interest. Well, but I know that Texas versus white, and I've spoken about the case, Texas versus white, which I think was a decision. It, I know it was a decision in the Supreme Court written by Salmon Chase, who was right. Lincoln's... Um, Secretary of the Treasury, and he was rewarded with a Supreme Court position after the war. He wrote this decision, and I believe it's a sham decision because it it invokes the Articles of Confederation as an authority when the Articles of Confederation were negated and and trodden over by the writing of the Constitution. And he's that's right. So he cited this basically expired document as an authority, which has no authority for his um, ruling that secession is illegal. But I just learned this morning that Texas wasn't a part of the Union in 1869 when that Texas versus white decision was handed down. Texas was readmitted by Congress to the Union in 1870. So how could it be bound by a Supreme <laughs> Court decision when it wasn't a part of the Union that made the decision? I don't get this, right? Well, that's one of those difficult questions that they don't want you to ask and they can't answer. I, I just realized this this morning, sir, and, and I'm like, how the hell did this happen? I got to go back and at the first opportunity or at a, and and study that. <laughs> it's uh, you're not you're not you're not going to find a suitable answer, sir. There is no answer to that except it's uh, it's just the uh, theater of the ridiculous uh, at at play. So uh, there there is no uh, legal grounds for doing anything like that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really heartened. Uh, the the Alabama State Senate. Uh, passed a measure this morning outlawing uh, uh, vaccine passports in the state of Alabama. So uh, this is catching on. Yes, and and it's all little acts of defiance against the American empire. And and if we have enough of these little acts of defiance, it's all in the end going to add up to the secession battle. It's headed our way. We have to take advantage of this. It's headed our way. That's right. It, it's, it's tending in our direction, sir, and I am very, very uh, pleased and uh, optimistic uh, to, to, to see what's going on right now. Yes, sir. We have to be there on the front lines fighting this battle 
and these little battles and and instead we're distracted with Charlottesville and that's a battle that we have to win so that we can get back to where we should be. That's how I see it. Well, that's true, but I, that's true. But, you know, I look at it uh, in, in a little bit more positive way that first of all, Yahweh has placed us in this position because he has something for us to accomplish there. And the publicity surrounding this trial is going to be great. Uh, and, if we're positioned to take advantage of the publicity around the trial to get out uh, our message and our, our narrative, which is the true narrative, then that's uh, that's a great opportunity for us. So I think we need to look at the opportunities that are there for us, not just to win the trial, but to win it in such a way that we our influence grows among uh, just normal people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This may be a um, a gift to us that we just haven't realized yet. So it, it may that be, manner. and that's what I'm that's what I'm counting on. In any case, we we need the support of our people, and, and we, we certainly need our people to look at these long term objectives and not be worried so much about not demonstrating in the streets for a year or two. It, if they were community building and networking like they should be, we should be building a strong League of the South out of the public limelight. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if, if these people who think that, that, you know, all we do is get out in the streets and, and, and do, uh, you know, rallies and protests and things like that, if they're just sitting there on their hands waiting for us to do that again, they've been wasting valuable time. They need to start talking up the league and our, our goals and our mission among people in their localities and, and meeting on a regular basis and developing a strong community, uh, you know, getting their families ready for potential hard times. There are all kinds of things that people can be doing within the league uh, that are the invisible things that, you know, normally you don't see uh, in the you know, headlines or, you know, on the nightly newscast or, or wherever. So, um, you know, people use that as an excuse. Well, we don't have anything going on. Yes, we do. And you ought to be part of it. And that means developing your local chapters, your local communities, and getting to know people and spreading the message that way. Yes, sir. That's our objective in the state of Florida. And, and y'all are doing a good job with it, too. Thank you, sir. And thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure. Bill, it's always my pleasure to be with you. Call me anytime and uh, I'll be on with you. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll see you either in late spring or very early summer in, in the near future. Looking, I, I, I looking forward to it, sir, as always. The last time I saw you in person, I, I think we set an objective that we, we would do a podcast together every other month. So I've been trying to fulfill that as best as possible. So hopefully I'll see you. Well, I appreciate in June. that, sir. Thank you, sir. Praise Yahweh. Thank Good you night. a lot. All right. Praise Yahweh.